Welcome to Finding My Yum, a sex-positive podcast celebrating all forms of sexual expression. Each week, we bring on a new guest to share their journey. We talk honestly and openly about what they're into and what sex, kinks, love, and more look like in the real world. I'm Jerry Courtney Austin. And I'm Will Lentz. And we are your hosts. And today, we are joined by Reva Prale to talk all about pelvic floor physical therapy. Woo! Um, She's awesome. She was a referral from Dr. Sarah Kaufman uh, because our conversation was so interesting and talked all about, um, you know, pregnancy and and postnatal issues. And also um, what I love about what Reva said is that she works with men, women, children, you know, all anybody. And, And I think that that's something that we certainly don't talk about that the pelvic floor is in all people and can affect all people. Um, yeah, it's one of those things that I like. I didn't. I I knew very little about. Um, I'm not sure if you knew more about it. No. Um, but I didn't yeah, know this no, was I. A thing. Yeah, I'd heard a little bit about it, um, but you know, not until I was listening to this episode that I that I learned a lot more. But then also, it was one of those things. It's it's like very prevalent and it affects so many different things. And I think there's so many more people out there that are impacted by by it than you even would know. Um, so I think, you know, talking about it, normalizing it and normalizing conversations around it is a very important part of uh, kind of moving forward with this sort of stuff. Yeah, I agree. The visibility is is huge and just talking about it. I, truthfully, like I have so many friends who've just had kids or are pregnant and I just want to send them all of these episodes being like, hey, this is the thing you deserve to get care and you deserve to have a conversation whether it affects you or not like these are things that can happen and and they don't make you you know unique or weird but you deserve to get the care you deserve absolutely yeah and that's something that she talks about towards the end I think is like the difference between Mm -hmm. like health policy between US and like France and I mean I'm sure the list goes on beyond France too but it was just yet another thing where it was like oh well of course the US isn't great at (laughs) knowing what to do here surprise surprise (laughs) um and speaking of the United States we are in a COVID uptick uh, across the world but particularly across the Midwest and now the coasts are are seeing drastic increases how are you holding up will i am uh not great (laughs) i mean it's not terrible but it is you know i think one of the one of the toughest parts about it is like that it's been so long and it feels like we yeah you know you and, and and myself and um plenty of people out there have been doing like kind of the right thing that we've or doing what we've been told for such a long time, and then right. it's like, oh, it's just going to continue to get worse. And granted, they predicted predicted this a while back that we sure. would have a really bad uh, winter, um, and but in the face of it, it just it, it feels bad. How? Yeah. But that's me. How are you? <laughs> yeah, I feel similarly. I think off mic we were talking about how it's just getting closer and closer and closer, um, and I feel the same. You know, I, I have lots of people around me who are now dealing with it. I have a, a family member who is still dealing with it from March, like the the lasting effects, and and yeah, and then at the same time, you know, I'm, I'm working and I'm teaching, and we're being very COVID safe outside, in person, with masks and socially distanced, and and at the same time of of being afraid for my life or for infecting other people there's a financial aspect that's really real of like okay well what does that mean for my job and if the government won't 
give extra support. Like, what does that mean for being able to pay rent or survive? Which, you know, I, I'm very privileged. Um, and so I, 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 I can't even complain, but it's still that fear that I know so many people are feeling on even a larger level it is just, it's awful. It's just the unknown. It is. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't want to be too much of a downer, though. What's one thing that you're going to try and do? <laughs> sure. Uh, what's one thing you're going to try and do over the next couple of months to to stay with the plan and to stay sane and to have a little fun despite the limitations? Yeah, you know, I think getting outside and going hiking, even though it's kind of cold now, but just like getting outside and and being able to enjoy nature apart from people is really important to me. And um, I've been really working on voiceover and some exciting things are in progress and so to just continue building on that uh feels really exciting and cool and I might be moving you know pending everything but that feels cool too to start potentially the new year um in a new place what about you well, that's great um you know I probably some of the same kind of stuff I'm I'm starting to plan my return to Los Angeles yeah. but at the same time it's like well, I don't know if I want to do it while everything is spiking up again. Um, but it is giving me little projects to work on, uh, which yeah. is exciting. And then also, like, really trying to enjoy, like, a winter here um, yeah. in Kentucky. You know, I'm looking forward to some snow. I don't know if it will happen, but my fingers are crossed. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> stuff I don't get to experience that much. But then also, you know, I've been walking around the neighborhood and seeing, like, the Christmas lights people are putting up. And there's, like, a... Uh, there's one one house that has a roof that has like the the words ho 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 spilled spelled out and I think that's kind of silly and cute and yeah. I like it. Um, so I don't know. It's one of those things you're stuck at home, but uh, it, similar to the beginning of quarantine, if yeah. if it gives you the perspective to focus on what's in front of you, that can be a, a way to get through it. Yeah, um, and to be so. present with the people yeah. that you're around. We we decorated uh, my little tiny home, and it feels very festive. I God, I just love the holidays. In terms of sometimes, I don't like some of the family stuff that goes with it, and I definitely sure. have baggage. But like the joy and the lights and the decorations and and the feeling is so fun and I imagine being around snow uh, is even more festive so yeah I hope you guys yeah. get some <laughs> I hope Me the too. mountains Me get too. some here because it would be cool oh yeah that'd yeah. be great um yeah, well, without further ado, we are super excited to bring this episode to you and to talk about pelvic floor therapy with Reva Prell. Here we go. Yay, welcome to Finding My Yum. I'm so excited. Today we have Reva Prell. She is a physical therapist with an emphasis on the pelvic floor. She's the owner of Revitalized Physicalized Therapy in uh, New York City uh, that works with men, women, and children for pelvic floor dysfunction. She has a million letters after her name, which I'm going to let her explain. Um, and she also has a new YouTube channel um, all about pelvic floor health. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, me too. Um, I was so excited after um, I, I spoke with um, Dr. Kaufman last week about, uh, you know, just how little I know about the pelvic floor, how little I know about how important it is, and that there are people who are directly dealing with, um, you know, the issues that come about from it and how to to work with them and that it's not just this thing that happens and then there's no treatment or, you know, way to to 
regain that healthy um, ability to move and live as we do, right? Totally. The pelvic floor is an area of the body that people don't really think about until it's not doing what they want. And (laughs) everyone has one, men and women (laughs) and children. And it's basically a group of muscles that sits at the bottom of the core. And just like muscles in the neck or the shoulders can get tight. So muscles in the top half of the core, so too muscles in the bottom half of the core, the pelvic floor muscles can get tight. And the pelvic floor muscles are responsible for bowel, bladder, and sexual functioning. So if there is dysfunction in those muscles, it can manifest as bowel, bladder, and or a sexual dysfunction. So we're talking about urinary incontinence, frequency, constipation, difficulty tolerating intercourse, pain, pelvic pain, lots of different types of symptoms that can all be attributed to dysfunction in the pelvic floor muscles. Yeah, and you know, it's it's so interesting to me how we just like very we gloss over genitalia and we gloss over the the pelvis and how instrumental it is in just our being and our life. Like everything that you just mentioned is everything that we do, you know, every single day, right? Like from going to the bathroom to being intimate with our partners or ourselves, um, you know, it, it, it's it's wild that this isn't isn't communicated to everybody at length. Um, so I'm so grateful to have you here and to dive even further into that. Um, I'd love to just talk first about how you even found, um, you know, this avenue for yourself. It, it seems so specific to me. Um, and, you know, I just found out about it. And so I'm curious, like, what was the journey to to this this job and to becoming a physical therapist for the pelvic floor? Sure. So I never really knew, I did not even really know what pelvic floor physical therapy was, even through most of grad school. I went Mm -hmm. to Hunter to become a physical therapist and loved it. But whenever pelvic floor or like women's health would come up, it was something that was addressed. And it was, if you want to specialize in that, then you'll take continuing ed classes to learn more about it. And I didn't even really know what it was. I honestly just thought it had to do with like basically incontinence. Um, and I did not realize that there was so much more to it. Um, and I was first introduced to the specialty for real when a close friend of mine had a traumatic labor and delivery. I was in my third and final year of physical therapy graduate school at the time. And she herself was going to, to a pelvic floor physical therapist and benefiting from it significantly. Mm -hmm. So she said to me one day, Reva, it's so amazing that you're becoming a physical therapist because you'll be able to help women like me. And I was like, um, I would not know the first thing to do for your pelvic floor. I know hips, knees, shoulders, backs, ankles. Sure. Like, well, there's this whole specialty called pelvic floor physical therapy, and you should really speak to my physical therapist. I'm sure she'd be happy to share information about it with you. And her physical therapist is a woman named Marilyn Friedman, who has since become my mentor. She's oh, one of cool. the gurus in the field, and she took over two hours out of her schedule to meet with me and explain to me what the specialty was. And she told me about the continuing ed classes, the continuing education classes I would need to take if I wanted to specialize in pelvic floor therapy. And as fate would have it, there was a pelvic floor 101 class being hosted at Hunter a few weeks after my encounter with Marilyn. Wow. So I asked the director of my program if I could sit in, if I could like help set up snacks and shadow the course. And he was like, yeah, totally. Why not? And I fell in love. I literally called my mother after the first day of the course. And I said, Ma, I have found my calling. This is what 
I am Aww. meant to do with my life. And it was just such a, at the age of 25, to have such a sense of purpose and to feel such a calling is just such a gift, which I'm really grateful for. And that happened over 12 years ago. And I am still just as passionate about what I do day in and day out as I was on day one that I discovered the specialty. Amazing. And what specifically, you know, drew you to it and got you so excited and and invested in like, this is what I want to do? I think that the ability to help people who've been suffering in silence, often for a very long time, really appealed to me. Um, So many of the symptoms that we as pelvic floor therapists address are very taboo and people don't know where to turn. Oftentimes they've spoken to doctors about their symptoms and been told, oh, try to have a glass of wine or take a Xanax and then see if you could engage in intercourse with your partner. So there's oftentimes a lot of feelings of invalidation and that they've been misdiagnosed for too long. And the ability to be that person that people finally are referred to and come to and discover, and I can validate that everything they're feeling is real and that I, thank God, have the ability to help them is just such a really rewarding feeling. Yeah. Um, I love that. And and so can you tell me how, like, why is it a specialty? So why is it just, you know, you're just focusing on the pelvic floor as opposed to incorporating other aspects? Um, I don't know much about physical therapy, unfortunately, but I, I, I don't know if there are other, are there other specialties that focus on like one part of the body or is this a unique aspect of pelvic floor physical therapy? It's a great question. There are some parts of the body that are considered specialties, for example, both physical therapists and hand and occupational therapists can become certified hand therapists. So the concept of hand okay. therapy exists. Um, there are PTs who are better at or more comfortable treating certain joints versus others or certain body parts than others. I think because pelvic floor therapy is just so different from typical orthopedic PT and many people who would go into orthopedics and treat the whole rest of the body wouldn't really want to be a pelvic floor therapist. In fact, okay. when I, I worked at a hospital for three and a half years doing general orthopedics before I specialized in pelvic floor, I was taking classes, but I didn't actually treat patients all day, every day, just pelvic floor until like three and a half years into my career. And my coworkers, when I would come back from a class and whenever we would come back from a class that the hospital paid for, we'd have to give an in-service to our colleagues. So I was getting up and talking about constipation and incontinence. And my coworkers, <laughs> they would like laugh at me. They'd be like, Reva, thank God there's you who wants to do this. Cause like, we wouldn't want to like touch this with a 10 foot pole. And for me, it just, it really spoke to me. And it's just so funny because growing up, I was like the biggest germy in the world. I would like wash my hands like all the time. And here I am like basically working in people's vaginas, anus all day. And yeah. And it's like, oh, okay. It doesn't, doesn't phase me at all. And I almost even considered going into dentistry, but I was like, I don't want to be in people's mouths all day. No way. I'll be a PT instead. And then like, I am doing what I do and loving it. You just found another orifice that you were like, I like this one better. (laughs) Um, Just to clarify, what is incontinence? Incontinence is involuntary loss of urine or that's urinary incontinence. Fecal incontinence is involuntary loss of stool. There could also be gas incontinence. Oh, Okay. Um, okay. And so then, yeah, so let's get into, um, what is physical, uh, physical, good Lord, (laughs) my 
my brain and my mouth are not communicating right now. Um, so so what actually is pelvic floor therapy? You kind of just got into it. It's like very actively dealing with the, you know, the vaginal canal and the anus and, and, and other orifices. So yeah, what does it look like when you're actually working with patients? Yeah, so an, a typical initial evaluation would look like a hip, low back, assess abdominal assessment, also depending on if the person is presenting with any scars, if they've had any gynecological surgeries or C-section or any scars within the pelvic region. Um, so assessment of those body parts and muscles because the pelvic floor is rarely dysfunctional in isolation. There's okay. usually nearby regional muscle issues as well. So if a pelvic floor is really, really tight and interfering with a person being able to tolerate intercourse comfortably, then chances are their hip musculature is also really tight. And I need to assess mm. and treat that as well. So I address both external and internal issues within the pelvic region. And I also like to explain that there's two different types of pelvic floor dysfunction. There can be overactivity or underactivity. So overactivity is when the muscles are tight or in spasm. Think about you know, what I was describing earlier, people can manifest stress and tension in the top half of their core or in the lower half of their core. So that's tightness, pain, spasm it could be associated with urinary frequency or feeling like incomplete emptying of the bladder, constipation, pain with intercourse or dyspareunia. Um, that's all overactivity. And patients would benefit from a down training program, stretching, relaxation training, releasing, diaphragmatic breathing, stretching to help stretch the tight muscles versus patients who present with underactivity or straight up weak. Okay. So yeah. before we go into that, sorry, I just want to clarify yeah. a couple of terms. Um, so I think you said dyspareunia, mm -hmm. is that the word? And what is that? That's pain with insertion into the pain with vaginal oh. insertion. Okay. And then um, I think you said diaphragmatic breathing as one of the things to use it. And so what does that mean? That's a special way of breathing where it's basically forcing your body to engage the diaphragm. So it's a nice slow inhalation through the nose for five seconds with a real focus on like, you know, when you're younger and you're trying to like play house and you pretend like you're pregnant and you poof your belly out. So that's yeah. what we try to do with diaphragmatic breathing to really Got help it. expand and fill the abdomen. And that helps the pelvic floor muscles descend and stretch and then exhale oh, okay. slowly through the mouth for five seconds. So there are two benefits of diaphragmatic breathing is number one, it helps provide a gentle, slow stretch to pelvic floor muscles. So if they're tight, it can help stretch them. And number two, diaphragmatic breathing helps shift the whole body's mode of functioning from, from sympathetic fight or flight response to parasympathetic rest and digest response. So for a person who is walking around with tightness, like the term anal retentives, literally holding tension in the anal muscles, it's real. I, yeah. Dress it. <laughs> I love out. that. Yeah. So when there's tightness, we want to help break that tightness and help open, relax, and release the muscles. So shifting from sympathetic to parasympathetic functioning allows all the muscles in the body, including the pelvic floor muscles, to relax and release. I love that. I, um, I'm an actor and I also teach um, acting and I always tell people to breathe into their diaphragm and into, into their stomach. And so I, I did know that it goes from the sympathetic to the parasympathetic, but I love that it relaxes the pelvic floor and that I can just add that on to like, I'm helping you. Totally. <laughs> like more, yeah, more it's therapeutic. Yeah, exactly. Um, awesome. Okay, so then um, we just did overactivity. So what's underactivity? So underactivity, that's straight up weakness. So think of your 
prenatal, postpartum patients, people who just have weakness for whatever reason, for example, a growing fetus pushing down and stretching the muscles in the pelvic floor for 40 weeks, and oftentimes also aging-related changes, those hormone changes and the whole pelvic floor changes after mm -hmm. menopause, and there can be more laxity and weakness than beforehand. So when there's underactivity or straight up weakness, then we can jump right into an uptraining or strengthening program. So if a person is experiencing incont urinary incontinence, either during or after pregnancy, or if there's organ prolapse, which is descent of any of the three organs within the pelvic floor, there's the bladder, uterus, and the rectum, any of those organs can descend. It's very common after, during and after pregnancy, with aging-related changes, and also people who have jobs that involve heavy lifting, often bearing down while holding their breath, that can, the increased intra-abdominal pressure can bear down on the organs and can result in some descent of the organs. So we want to help strengthen the pelvic floor muscles, which are a really good backup plan for the organs to help keep them up and aligned against gravity, to help keep them in place. Okay. Um... So that's where Kegels, people often hear of like Kegels, it's the buzzword. Yeah. It's being referenced in pop culture all the time now, which is great. We pelvic floor <laughs> love when we get shout out. <laughs> Sex in the city or whatever's popular nowadays. Yeah, 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 yeah. But kegels aren't appropriate for everyone. They're appropriate mm. for people who have underactive pelvic floors and need strengthening or an up training program, but not for people who have overactivity because to further tighten and turn on the muscles that are, that are already too far on or too much right. on we don't want to strengthen those muscles yet. We want to help stretch and release them. So people would be inappropriate for people who need relaxation in the pelvic floor. Interesting. And so then your YouTube channel, um, cause it's pelvic pearls, pearls. Pelvic floor. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like, you know, pearls are the, you can hold them inside. Right. And, and it helps with almost kegels. Am I, am I correct? So that, that is a thing. People actually, when I first put it out, they're like, Reva, are you referencing like a sex toy in your YouTube channel? I'm like, no, like pearls of wisdom. Pelvic pearls. Oh, okay. <laughs> I totally <laughs> thought that too. I was like, oh, it's such a good name. Yeah, it's very you. clear. But I guess double, <laughs> double entendre, you know, whatever attacks the audience. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, cool. Um, okay. Awesome. So, so, um, I do have a question about, you know, you were talking about initially that people have been, you know, told to take a Xanax or have a glass of wine or whatever. Like they get kind of poo-pooed with these issues if, if you know, mainstream Western medicine doctors can't identify what's going on. And so I'm curious, like, how do people find you? And it does, is insurance, you know, insurance in this company, man, I could just rant on it for so long. But, you know... It, is it, does insurance cover your services? Like, is this something that is more like starting to get more widely talked about? Or is it still a kind of a, a frustration to be able to get people in the door to get covered and, and to be to get any kind of relief? Great question. So most people are referred either through word of mouth through friends who are brave and share their success stories and feel comfortable telling their friends, um, which mm -hmm. is great. I love when people talk about taboo topics that shouldn't be taboo and that only stand to benefit people from discussing. Agreed. Yeah. Um, there are fortunately more and more doctors who are aware of the benefit of pelvic floor therapy and who do refer fairly regularly. There's still a lot more work for me and my colleagues to do in terms of educating 
both the medical and lay communities about the existence of this specialty. So thank you for the opportunity to do that. Um, yeah, of course. There still are people who don't know and who aren't referring. Um, but fortunately, there is, there is a decent number. Um, Facebook groups, Google, people are Googling their symptoms and they're finding pelvic floor therapy. Um, so that's been also a very common referral source. Um, and in terms of insurance, unfortunately, insurance companies don't recognize that as pelvic floor therapists, we're doing very intimate work and we're working one-on-one -on -one with our clients for generally 45 minutes to an hour. My sessions are an hour. And obviously, no one else can be in the room at the time, and I can't be treating anyone else at the time. So whereas orthopedic PTs, when I was working at the hospital for three and a half years, and I was expected to see three to four patients an hour, so when the hospitals are then billing, one hour is the equivalent of four, four codes that you can bill per hour. So if they're seeing three to four people, that's 12 to 16 codes that they're billing an hour, we can only code for four. So most pelvic floor therapists are not in network with insurance because we would barely be able to keep our lights and AC on um, just because we're seeing the volume of patients is so, so much less. However, if patients have out-of-network benefits, then most people are able to get reimbursement from their insurance company through their out-of-network benefits. Yeah, that's so interesting. Uh, is there a discussion, like, are, you know, and I don't know how easily it is to discuss with insurance companies uh, because in this country it's so difficult. But is there a discussion to potentially incorporate that these, you know, sessions are longer, that they're more invasive, that they require more effort on the part of the PT? Um, is that a conversation that's happening or, or has it been relatively shut down? As far as I'm aware, I, there is a section of women's health within the APTA, the American Physical Therapy Association, and they're excellent at advocating on behalf of us as a profession and also on behalf of patients for matters like this. I would, I don't want to give false information. I can't say with sure. certainty that that is something that has come up, but I would imagine that it has been something that has, just because it's something that's pretty universal for all pelvic floor therapists. We all encounter it. Right, right, right. Um, and then, okay, so once you do a preliminary exam, um, you just mentioned, you know, like how intimate and, and how, you know, you're in people's orifices. And so I'm just wondering, like, what does that really look like? You know, I, I think about a gynecological appointment where, you know, they, they, they're right up in the vaginal canal, they're taking samples, you know, whatever. Is that similar to what you're actually doing? Are you stimulating those muscles by hand in there? Like, what, what does it look like? It's a digital examination. So okay. finger, double gloved lubricant with patient consent, obviously. And then yeah. doing an internal, usually on day one, vaginal examination to assess the muscle strength, resting tone, endurance, checking for trigger points, checking to see what the patient needs. Um, sometimes patients also require rectal work. And if there's a male client, then there is no vagina to access. So any internal work is done, is done rectally. Um, sometimes there are female patients who require both or comfortable with both. Some people prefer not doing any rectal work. And the way I explain it to my patients is there are two doors to your pelvic floor for females. There's the front door and the back door. So most patients are more comfortable with digital examination vaginally. If mm -hmm. they are also comfortable with rectal work, then I will do that depending on what they need. If a person has, for example, delivered a baby and their coccyx, their tailbone has been misaligned or is deviated because of the pressure that occurred during labor and delivery. So then 
they would stand to benefit from some rectal work and realignment of the tailbone if they're comfortable with it. I have had patients decline and say, I am going to just see if this gets better on its own or can you teach me like different sitting techniques? And really it's a matter of following what the patient's comfortable with because if a patient's not comfortable with me, then they're not going to get better. Right, 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 of course. Um, And so in terms of... um you know, dealing with, with men and children and women, like what is the different conversations with, with, with all of the different body parts? Because quite frankly, like before we got on this call, I didn't even think about men and children being involved. And so I'm curious about like, what, how does it look differently for, for women, for men or for penis having people, for vagina having people and for children? Yeah. So for people who are experienced, mostly the, Male patients who I work with have tightness. It's rarely just straight up weakness incontinence. They they're not pregnant, so they don't have those same sure. changes that we have. But really, for any individual who's sitting for many hours at work, we say sitting is the new smoking. It puts the pelvic floor in a shortened position, especially if people are sitting with mm. their legs crossed and tight. That shortens the pelvic floor. And then throw on top of that, if people are physically active, I work with so many male clients who are big runners or cyclists, especially and cycling is a lot of pressure on the floor and the perineum. So cycling and they're doing the cardio, but not then countering all the cardio with stretching, then the hip muscles and pelvic floor muscles can get really tight. So they stand to benefit from external and internal myofascial release, muscle stretching, relaxation training of the tight muscles to help release the tightness and decrease the pain. And children, we don't do internal with them um, for obvious reasons, but there's yeah. a lot that we can benefit, just even teaching them how to properly use their pelvic floor. If children are inadvertently tightening or not having the proper mechanics when they are trying to go to the bathroom, then that can interfere. If they're accidentally tightening the pelvic floor instead of relaxing it, which is necessary for urinating and passing a bowel movement, we call that a paradoxical contraction. So even just teaching them through, we can teach them through external means how to help relax and release the pelvic floor rather than accidentally turn it on. Um, Got it. And so if somebody, like if if I wasn't sure if that was a problem, is there a way to do a self-examination to kind of see what's going on or is that not really something that you can do? That's a good question. In general, I say to people, if you've never been able to put in a tampon, because it's hurt too much, not because Mm. you don't want to. If you want to use pads, good for you. That's great. But if you use pads because you're unable to put in a tampon, then that's probably an indicator that your pelvic floor muscles are tight or overactive and can benefit from releasing relaxation and stretching. Got it. Um, And then I have a – this is kind of a weird question, but the way that we we poop in this country is by sitting on the toilet in a position that's not the best for our internal organs, right? And so I'm wondering, like, do you suggest using – now I can't even remember what it's called, but like, you know, the thing that props up your legs so that you can get more in a squat. Yeah, Mm -hmm. a squatty potty. There we go. I've written a blog on the squatty potty. Oh, okay, great. Yep, because they have it right in third world countries. Squat is the optimal position. It actually helps slacken and put in a resting position the puborectalis muscle, which is the muscle that slings around the anal rectal junction. 
and it's the muscle that needs to relax in order to defecate. So using a squatty potty or any device that allows your knees to come above your hips helps to slacken that puborectalis muscle and makes it easier for passing a bowel movement. And I also tell patients to do diaphragmatic breathing in that position. Oh, got it. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that came to mind because I was like, when I was in Thailand, you know, they they that's that's how they defecate, and it made it makes so much more sense. <laughs> like it you does. do it, and you're like, oh yeah, duh, this is what my body wants to do. Um, totally. And so I'm wondering, you know, there's a lot of trauma. I think all people can hold in their pelvis and in their genitals. Uh, and so, you know, do you deal with any of that kind of release or the tension coming from that kind of trauma or, you know, even even like assault or, or previous experiences that, that cause that kind of um, constriction or I guess even relaxation, you know, because birth can be a trauma, traumatic experience as well. Yeah, absolutely. I tell patients that our muscles have better memories than our brains mm-hmm. and I've a significant number of patients who have a history of trauma. Um, Some share with me, some don't. Some are in therapy for that. And that's always a really great combination. I think that anyone who unfortunately has been through trauma, it's, it's awful. And it's something that should not have happened. But it has happened and your body then responds in a way that can then make activities that you want to engage in more difficult. So both to address the physical and the psychological aspects are, is the most powerful way to address it. Um, and I collaborate with sex therapists and it's really, yeah, a really great, great to teamwork with them. Yeah. I, I, I'd like to talk about this this pleasure aspect because just like with trauma there you know we we have the capacity for so much pleasure within these parts as well and you know there are a lot of people who sex therapists and and healers and stuff like that that work specifically with like releasing with releasing trauma with with just releasing in general and allowing for pleasure to happen and to occur and to intensifying that and so is that part of the conversation as well yeah and i always have a box of kleenex available because oftentimes <laughs> even just people sharing their stories is very traumatic people have been yeah. through a lot and sometimes the work that i do can be almost triggering of yeah. of the trauma um and i think that being able to process that i'm not a mental health professional that's you know sure. i'm here to support my patients in whatever way i can physically Um, But for them to then be working with someone who can support them in that way is is really great. And also something I think that's important to recognize is that not everyone who has pelvic floor dysfunction has a history of trauma. And I think there's a a misconception that, you know, if a woman is unable to engage in intercourse and she tells her doctor about it and then the assumption is, oh, so you must have been assaulted at some point. And she's like, no, that's, that's not true. It's, it's very invalidating that that is not necessarily the case. Yes, there is a correlation between people who've been through traumatic experiences and pelvic floor dysfunction, but sure. that it's not everyone. So people can have pelvic floor dysfunction, even if they've never experienced trauma. Right. Um, yeah. 
I, 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 I appreciate you saying that because that's definitely a very important um, aspect to, to it as well. That like, you know, there's, there's many different avenues to come to, to this juncture of where you're looking for help and that, that pelvic floor therapy could be useful. Um, I, ha- I just have a question. Can you explain the anatomy of where the pelvic floor is in terms of, because I think I'm getting confused with men. And so uh, for women, like where it actually falls and, and also for men, like what that looks like. So what, what the area is that you're actually talking about and how it is supporting these other organs that you discuss. Sure. Basically think of it as running from the pubic bone, which is like the lowest bone that you could feel before you hit your clitoris or for mm-hmm. men before they feel their penis Uh all the way to the coccyx or the tailbone in the back. And it's like a hammock that runs front to back and side to side. So in the count to back and side to side. Gotcha. Um, Okay. Thank you. That was very helpful. Um, And so then, yeah, I think the last thing that I'd love to talk about is just what, what are the larger um, implications in terms of dealing with, you know, body autonomy for women, for even women going through pregnancy and and postpartum issues and stuff like that. And and even men addressing this type of stuff. Like, you know, I think there you talked a little bit about how some of these topics are so taboo. And and so I'm wondering just at like how we can start chipping away at this and how the current climate, political climate that we're in impacts even your work and and people's ability to recognize these issues and get help for them. Yeah. Oh, I have so many soapboxes I want to go into right now. Please. Yes. (laughs) Great. So I am a huge believer that every human being deserves to feel comfortable in their own body. And I work with so many people who feel ashamed of who they are in their body, either because they think that they're not pleasing their partner sufficiently, or they don't look the same as they did before they had a baby, they have a scar, and they're embarrassed. And I think that for people to feel comfortable in their own bodies is such an important thing. And for people to feel that they're not just existing to please their partner sexually, they also deserve to feel good. And sex shouldn't just be about grinning and bearing it. And I need to just like learn how to get through this so that my partner can be happy. Like, no, you also deserve to enjoy this experience. And if at this point, you're not capable of being able to accomplish penis and vagina intercourse, but you are able to engage in other sexual activities that you're enjoying and that your partner's enjoying, but that's valuable too. And it, the, the yeah. goal shouldn't just be penis and vagina intercourse. It should yeah. be a meaningful sexual experience with your partner in whatever shape or form that takes on. And you're not a failure if you're not meeting what you view or what society has taught you is the, the gold standard that you should be living up to. Um, mm-hmm. And I think helping to empower women and men with that message is a really it's a soapbox for a reason. Like, I think it's really important. And I once had a patient come in and I'll never forget this. She said, you know, Reva, I just like, you know, always thought that sex looking fun, that's just something for the movies. Cause for me, it was just always painful and I never enjoyed it. And then it reached a point where I realized this isn't normal. And in her mind, just grinning and bearing it and tolerating it and pleasing her partner. And she has a wonderful partner who like came to her eval and was so supportive throughout her whole therapeutic process. 
So it wasn't like he was even pressuring her. It was she was pressuring sure. herself, feeling like this is just like, okay, this is just how it has to be. Like sex is painful. And being able to tell her like, no, you deserve to be enjoying this experience as well. And let's mm-hmm. help you achieve that. That is a worthwhile goal uh, is a really powerful message to be able to communicate to people who are feeling uncomfortable in their own bodies or like failures for whatever reason when really they're the fact that they're even showing up and trying to do something about it is so commendable and they should really give themselves a big round of applause. Yeah, I, I I love that because I think, you know, we talk a lot about on this show about the linearity of sex and how it's presented in one fashion that it's all going to the climax of usually the penis having person, right? And that that indicates the end, that, we're, that you're heading towards um, penetration and that that's just not true and that pleasure can be experienced by both parties and the pleasure is like just integral in like us as human beings you know like like the the life force center for us is down at our genitals and 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 what a a shame it is that we we really discourage pleasure in general I would say of men and women but also particularly women right like it's 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 such a shameful thing like we're, we're not supposed to talk about sex we're not supposed to enjoy sex you know we're not supposed to do any of those things and so yeah um I'm wondering you know with with the um with the new Supreme Court justice uh, and, and what the Supreme Court is looking like, even around the idea of Roe v. Wade and um, privacy rights and abortion rights, like that all affects even your field as well, right? Because then we're talk- we're still talking about body autonomy and, and a woman's right to understand her body and, and have um, – control over what's happening and 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 even an idea of how to help her feel better um and so yeah if if you have any thoughts on that I'd love to hear that soapbox if you have I think it's it's something I've thought about a lot and I'm I'm also I'm scared about yeah um just because I'm a very strong believer in women's reproductive rights and I think like I think there has been progress in certain areas in women's health and reproductive rights. For example, just in the state of New York this past year, there have been changes made with regards to what insurance will cover as far as egg freezing and fertility treatment, which is mm. amazing. And I hope that we continue to see more progress in that realm um, and that we maintain certain decisions that have been decided years ago yeah. for good reason because it should that should not be something that's contested in my humble opinion yeah um and then one other thing i just wanted to touch on is um you know i think there there's this prevalent idea that you know after childbirth like if you if you have um incontinence that it's kind of just a natural thing that happens and it's too bad and whatever and so I just want to reaffirm that it is something that can be uh dealt with and it's not it's not a life sentence right it's it's Uh, something that we can be treated yeah in fact in France all women are sent to pelvic floor physical therapy postpartum they go to their six-week postpartum visit and they're given a prescription for pelvic floor therapy we need to make that happen here in the States. And if yeah. that's not happening, then we as women have a right to ask for a prescription for pelvic floor therapy at our six-week postpartum visits. I am 
happy that the concept of the fourth trimester has picked up traction and people are more aware and talking about what are mom's needs. It's not just about the baby once the baby has fortunately come and we're all excited about the baby, but we also want to make sure that mom is receiving the care that she received, that she deserves to receive. And yeah. incontinence is not just par for the course postpartum. It's common. It's something that women experience, but it is very fixable. And it's yeah. something that I, I see like the poise pads advertisements and I'm like, no, no, we should not be right. supporting this industry because we shouldn't just accept that this is, this is the fate that any woman is doomed to receive after she has had a baby. Shouldn't be that way. And it is very fixable. Um, I love that. I've never heard the fourth, the fourth um, trimester or, or what you said. So is that just extending it to this postpartum period where you're still a part of the pregnancy and there's still, you know, issues to address? Yeah. And that mom is still a part of the conversation, that there's still a woman whose body is undergoing changes and we want to address it the same way she's going for weekly visits towards the ends of pregnancy and receiving so much care and attention when she's going through for a second, third trimester. But also she deserves that care during the fourth trimester as well. And the fourth trimester isn't necessarily just three months. It can be several months. It could be a year or longer. So however long any given woman's body requires or is needing to heal is time that she deserves to give herself to heal. And sometimes it takes longer than, than people would like. It's not, a pill it's not a quick fix but it is fixable and it is definitely something that she will benefit from yeah absolutely um well this has been amazing thank you so much for taking time to come on the show and and share so much i i've learned a great deal where can people find you um yeah if they want to know more information or check out your youtube where can they find you sure so all my information is on my website revitalizedphysicaltherapy.com um, I can be reached via email at Riva, R-I-V-A, at RevitalizedPhysicalTherapy.com. And all my YouTube videos are on the website. You can also subscribe to the YouTube channel, Pelvic Pearls. And looking forward to sharing more information with you. Awesome. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Yeah. yahoo Ooh, boy. <laughs> I was trying to figure out, like... You almost had like a little bit of a Mario uh, <laughs> sound there. And I was like, how can I? I don't know. I got, I'll got. i just go with my standard. What does he do? Um, does he do a Yahoo! Whoopee! Something like that. Whoopee! I don't even know. Yeah, I can't help you gonna... either right now. We'll figure it out. We'll get back to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, thank you so much, Reva, for coming on. I just thoroughly enjoyed that conversation. I learned a great deal. I mean... Man, the fact that I didn't know about this before and, and Will, this is new information for you too. I hope everybody listening is so much more informed and please go share this with so many people because I just feel like everybody needs to know that this is out there um, and that there are ways to to help you if you're, if you're having issues. Um, yeah, as always, please follow us on social media at Finding My Yum Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. You can email us at findingmyyum at gmail.com. Uh, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And like Jerry was saying, this is an issue that not a lot of people know about and there's not a lot of awareness around. So this gives you an even even more of a reason to share with 
I'm going to say 53 people because I really want you to have actual concrete conversations with people about this because this is really important and it does affect so many people. So get talking. 53 people um, (laughs) over some type of digital communication because right now we're locking it back down, baby. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Um, please send me guest recommendations. I take all of them. And so many of the amazing guests that we've had over the last weeks, months have been from people suggesting them. So, um, yeah, I, I love suggestions and topics too. Um, and then please have a happy Thanksgiving. We're taking the week off, uh, next week. So please be safe. Please stay quarantined. Um, do not spread COVID and take care of yourselves rejuvenate replenish and stay yummy